RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. And I just think in financial services, we have a yes, no, black, white response to things, which encourages the worst possible behavior in people. And we need to shift it to this, this collaborative, learning, compassionate style of leadership. And, you know, I, I don't think we're, we're quite there yet, but I, I have hope. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner in the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Sam White, and we're going to start by discussing motor insurance and then see where we end up. Sam is an insurance entrepreneur and a prophetic voice in the industry. She has been described as a brilliant, determined and highly successful entrepreneur and an inspirational leader. And as if that were not enough, she's also a joy to work with and really cares about her staff and her business partners. In 2018, she founded Stella Insurance, which states on its website that it is passionately pro-women and on a mission to create a better, fairer world, one insurance product at a time. And that mission started with motor insurance, which is what we're going to discuss today. So Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on. What, what an intro. <laughs> um, so please talk me through your journey into insurance. Kind of, Do you fall within the loved insurance since the day I was born camp or how on earth did I end up here camp? Uh, yeah, look, I think most people in insurance would say that they were in the latter category. But the interesting thing is I actually do really love insurance. I love what it stands for, at, at an ideological principle. So I was just having a call literally before I came on here talking to a guy about mutuals and the structure within mutuals and actually I think that's the sort of purest form of what we're trying to do from an insurance viewpoint and I love that idea of a group of people coming together and all putting in money so that if one individual is at risk or has a problem they will be supported so conceptually I I don't think I could have picked a better industry to get involved in but reality was you know, I, I left university and due to some, some challenging personal situation, went out and got a job and happened to end up my first and only real job was with a motor insurance. Well, it was a, it was a claims business. They, they, they worked with insurance brokers handling their motor claims. And that was my first job. So I did absolutely fall into it in in that respect. I think I got offered three or four jobs at the time, and this is the one that I took. So I could be sat on a CCTV podcast now, but I uh, I don't think I would be as emotionally connected to it as I am to the insurance industry. And um, I, I've heard you describe yourself that, that, that you are you're unemployable at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah, it was only one job. They seemed to like me. They promoted me quite a bit, but um, I'm fiercely independent and I back myself and trust myself wholeheartedly and I think it's incredibly difficult to work for other people when that's your 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 basic DNA 
And um, as I mentioned in the introduction, in, in 2018, uh, you founded a motor insurer called Stella. Um, so that's Stella without an R, so S-T-E-L-L-A, although I, I imagine the name is deliberate to reflect the S-T-E-L-L-A-R as well, the, 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 yes. the, the, other, the other way of using yes. the word Stella. So why a motor insurer um, as opposed to any other type of insurer or indeed any other type of business? Um, because kind of presumably motor insurance is a hugely crowded area uh, with tight margins. So what was it that prompted you to go down that route? What is the origin story of Stella? Yeah, so I mean, my personal backstory has been all in motor insurance. So I founded my first business from a sister's conservatory when I was 24. And that was a motor claims business. Um, years later, I then moved into insurance and set up an MGA. And from that, I then also launched an insurance broker. And all of it was was focused around motor insurance. And you're quite right, it's hugely competitive. But it's also, you know, very entrepreneurial. It's a massive market. And I think it's ripe for a lot of disruption. So when I went over to Australia... Um, and I actually first went over to Australia in 2016. I was initially looking at the same kind of journey that I'd had in the UK. So what does the claims market look like? How can I get involved there? Um, and I met this fabulous CEO who was CEO of an insurer called RACQ, which is the biggest insurer in Brisbane. And me and him just got on like a house on fire, shared values in terms of social purpose and doing things differently. And he encouraged me to get into an insurance business in Australia. His business is very heavily motor focused, but that was also my background. But my caveat was that actually our long-term fundamentally, Stella will not end up as a motor insurance business. Motor will be one of the products that we have tailored for women. And we will have built a female community that is engaged with us, not just because we're designing products around them and making modifications to the policy to support them and support other women as well, but also because we are building a community that is also a social impact community. So $5 from every policy that we write in Australia goes to Women and Girls Emergency Centre and the teams managed to design um, domestic abuse cover, which we have embedded initially in our travel insurance policy, which was the next insurance product that we were bringing out, um, and also looking to embed in the motor insurance policy. So I see motor as a great way to build a good foundation of customers and to start to have the conversation around what we want to be talking about, which is women and their needs. And yeah, you talked there about kind of tailoring a policy to meet the needs of women. How do you respond to people who say, well, surely insurance is just insurance? You know, it's the same for everyone. Yeah, no, there's a fantastic book that I advise everybody to read, men and women, if they want to understand what I'm talking about here. But it's called Invisible Women, The Truth About Data Bias. And the reality is that because society has fundamentally been built 
from male experiences and men in power, then there are things that, that you don't even think of. So seatbelts and cars, for instance, have been designed around the male torso, which means that significantly more women die in car accidents than men. Medicine has been tested on male biology and female biology is incredibly different. So a lot of the medications that we take don't work for women or don't work as effectively for women. Heart attack symptoms, different for women than men. They don't recognize that women are having heart attacks when they turn up at hospitals. So they don't give them the appropriate treatment path. And so more women die than men. To your point, is motor insurance the biggest problem? No. But are there things in motor insurance that will have a disproportionately negative effect on women? Yes. So we saw in the Australian market that there was a clause in policies that said, if your vehicle is damaged by somebody that you know, the claim will be repudiated. Now, often in domestic abuse situations, the perpetrator will damage the victim's property as well as attacking the victim and you know, all of the, the, the issues that we, we know are associated with that. So we were looking at it through the lens of you've got somebody who's already been through a horrendous situation and then you're going to withdraw cover. And then there are other things like the contents covers in cars. Women tend to carry more valuable things around with them. Often their handbags themselves are, are very expensive or the prams that they have in the vehicle. And so we increase the contents cover to to suit that. Um, and then there's how we communicate with our customers. So most insurers will only really contact you at the point of renewal because at that point, you know, during the policy, they're a bit scared if they contact you, you'll cancel. And, and we don't look at it that way. So we send lots of um, material to the customers that we think is of value to them that's not necessarily about the motor insurance. So we do a stellar expert series, which is all these incredibly inspirational women that have done fabulous things and have like a female race car driver who was giving a video on how not to get ripped off when you were buying a car and all of these other things that we think are helpful and instructional to our customer base. And because you branded Stella in this way, and you know, I can see that it's a, a, a in many ways, it's a real honour and a privilege to be the, the company that is thinking through these issues and trying to respond to them. But do you feel that that kind of creates an added pressure on you, that you, you, you know, an extra sense of responsibility to, to get it right? Absolutely. And, you know, and I feel that responsibility every day. And I know that I will absolutely be opening myself up to criticism. But my view is you only live once. If you want to have impact in your life, you're going to have to stand for something. And when you stand for something, you will absolutely take some hits. And I'm okay with that. I'm, you know, I'm prepared for that. And the people that I have around me are prepared for that. And, and by the way, that isn't just women. You know, we over-index on men that have daughters and men that were brought up by single mothers that that see the world through the lens that we see and genuinely want things to change and genuinely want to support this and you know the big goal for Stella for me is is to really be a challenger brand in financial services across the board 
because my view is that financial services isn't female friendly at the moment. Um, and, and because of that, there are impacts on the rest of society that aren't positive. And I think if we can readdress that balance and get it balanced, and I'm not talking about, you know, it over indexing the other way, just getting it so there is a, a point of equality and fairness between both, then I think we will all benefit from it you know, men, men and women. Recently in, in Spain, um, you attended a, a, a conference on women in leadership. So, so I learned from LinkedIn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, so source of all information. Yeah, all information, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you wrote this, um, that, that there's something very special when a group of women come together and share their experiences. Uh, and you also promote the hashtag um, hashtag it takes boobs, yes. which I have to say I think is absolutely brilliant. I mentioned it to my daughter, and she says that's great. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, but but why do you think it is important to celebrate specifically the role of women in leadership? Is it all part of this conscious rebalancing of the industry? Yeah. So my my view on this is is from a humanity perspective. So I personally think what's happened in financial services is it's become, over time, it's or from the beginning, whichever way you look at it, super male-dominated. And groups of men and packs of men, in the absence of women being present in those groups, you look at football crowds and, um, you know, <laughs> wars, and it doesn't bring out the best in men because they become competitive with each other, they become aggressive, they lose touch with their own emotional balance and connectivity and bad things happen, is my view. And I think that is what we're looking at in financial services. And on the other hand, with women, women often suffer from a crisis of confidence. They're constantly second-guessing themselves. They're constantly... You have no idea as... You know, I talk to my friends all the time and I like I'm... I, I don't do small talk very well, as you can probably tell. I am very, um, it's like, move that out of the way. Let's talk about the real stuff. And most of the women I know second guess themselves continually. They have a voice in their head that tells them that they're not good enough, that things that they do are wrong or that they, you know, that they shouldn't put themselves out there or put their head above the parapet. And, and they're frightened of that. And, and so you've got these two kind of separated groups, one which is over-indexing on aggressive, I am fantastic and I can do whatever the hell I want, and this other group that's completely second-guessing themselves. And what I want to do is to encourage the men to lean into their emotional connectivity. And, of course, lots of men do, and I love those guys and I have them as my friends and supporters and everything else. And I want to encourage the women to feel stronger in themselves and more empowered so that we get that balance back. And, and what I've seen is that when you create a safe space for women, and unfortunately, a lot of the time that is in the absence of, of men in the room right now because of this, this issue that we have, and they actually genuinely start to open up and get reassurance from each other. And that's what happened at the Barcelona Leadership Dinner. People were open and vulnerable, and that enabled the group to to be open and vulnerable and support. It's magic. It, it, it's really quite a wonderful thing to observe. 
And, and, and do you see yourself, because of your own personality, as like a bridge between these two sides? Because I've seen that what you've written, and on one level, you're a person who has that voice inside their head, but yet you're also very strong, very resilient, um, and great at business. So do you see yourself as, because you have a foot in both camps, you're able to translate one world to the other and vice versa? It's so funny you should say that. I just joined this really um, high-powered business group recently, and it's majority men, a couple of women. And one of the women, we went on this like away visit thing that they do, and it was the first time I spent time with them. And one of the women said exactly that to me because they were separating out and I was bouncing between the two groups. I actually, most of my significant friendships are with men. I have female friends as well, but I have a, a really strong bond with emotionally connected men. But I, I do feel that I sit very much in the middle for a variety of different reasons. You know, I'm gay, so I have relationships with women and I understand the challenges around that. And, you know, I think being able to see things from both perspectives is helpful. But I do also think, as you say, being able to break free of those shackles is a really empowering thing for me that I want to give to other women. I want other women to feel how I do about being open and, you know, saying how I think the world should be and getting involved in conversations and engaging because I think that the world will be a better place if there's more female voices out there. Amen to that. Like, I absolutely 100% agree with that. Um, returning to Stella for a moment, um, you, you launched the brand in the UK uh, last year, yep. I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Towards the end of towards the end of 2022. Um, what was it that prompted that move and, and how's it going? Yeah, so, I mean, the plan was always to come back to the UK. I, I love Australia as a testbed market, but it's a tenth of the size of the UK. We've done unbelievably well. So, you know, first year we wrote three and a half million, second, seven and a half, and I think we'll do 20 million in premium this year. And it's also um, disproportionately direct. Like over 50% of the business is direct, which is, again, unheard of in motor insurance. Normally, it's all price comparison driven. We've launched this campaign, you referenced that it takes boobs. We launched that over in Australia and obviously it's a play on words to the it takes balls and that has been unbelievably successful. The response to it has, has been fantastic. This is where I live. I live in the UK. I've, I've been around motor insurance in the UK for 20 odd years. So I would always want to come back regardless of the challenges in the market, which I know all of them and I'm, you know, super, super aware of the issues that surround the market right now. But I think it, it couldn't be a better time for Stella for a whole host of reasons. And if motor insurance, the, the thing about motor insurance is it is a grudge purchase. It is something that people resent buying. And if we can turn that grudge purchase into something, even a little bit move the dial where people feel good about taking the policy out because they support what we're doing and we're trying to achieve then that for me is a massive win and and what's your analysis of the the the, the motor insurance market in the uk as a whole where does it currently sit is it a hard market a soft market how is it affected by the pandemic and all of those sorts of things well where where is the motor insurance market headed 
Yeah. So, I mean, last year they had an, a disastrous year as a whole. Um, most insurance, I think, ran at a combined ratio of 110%. So it was horrific. And there was a number of factors that affected that. The cost of reinsurance has gone through the roof over the last four or five years. So there's there's a lot of challenges around that. And then inflation on claims went through the roof. So they had COVID nobody driving. And then when they came out of COVID, there was a lot of supply chain issues, parts issues. People can't get hold of parts for vehicles because of the war and because of Brexit. And so vehicles are not getting repaired in any kind of speed that they should be. And therefore you've got, you know, you've got storage costs, you've got credit hire costs, you've got X, Y, Z. All of those things hit along with general inflation, double digit, absolute nightmare. Now, the response to the market has been, quite rightly, to layer in more and more rate. So the prices of motor insurance has gone up a significant amount. And the thing that that now means, ironically, is that if you are going into a market fresh, motor insurance is now an extremely attractive category because we absolutely are in a hard market cycle. And these are the times that people like Hastings and Admiral and, and others really made their money. If you look at merchant insurance, it, it generally runs in seven-year cycles. We are at the start of that cycle heading back upwards from my own humble opinion. So hopefully, from Stella's perspective, uh, a, a, a good time, really, a good time to be getting your share of the market. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I can't say that it was strategically planned that way because nobody could have predicted what happened last year. You know, we were more interested in the expertise that we had and, and obviously building that relationship with the customers. But it is a fortuitous set of circumstances. I want to go back to leadership or move on to leadership. I can't remember if we talked about it or not, but um, um, because you, you did a psychology degree, which in itself I find fascinating because so much of what you write and say brings that thought process into it. Um, and I, I've heard you talk about the differences between left brain thinking and right brain thinking in, in leadership. And what do you mean by that? And why do you think it's important? Yeah, so I have been criticised for using that piece of research because the latest research is challenging that concept of left and right. But I still use it because, it, for me, it still articulates certain types of thinking. So traditionally, left brain thinking was what they would use to describe the very uh, analytical type brain. So... Um, KPIs, metrics, actuaries, yeah, would be your your great example of left brain thinking. Assuming that the world um, is fixed, assuming that there's rules that can apply to everything, finding those rules, following those rules, following those processes. Um, Right brain is, is much more creative. It's interested in beauty and creativity and collaboration and emotional connectivity. And of course, we all have both. Yeah, exactly. There is exactly. a view that um, women more naturally are in tune with their right brain and, and men with their left. And um, again, you can argue that point. Uh, my view, as I was saying before, is that I think some of the structures that we have don't encourage it in men. And I would love to see 
more encouraging that in men because I think that would be the answer to a lot of these these issues. But also, if you look at insurance and financial services, you can see a massive over-indexing in left-brain thinking. There has to be a set of rules around this, and we have to follow those set of rules. And that creative thinking is 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 a lot less prevalent, and I think the industry is poorer for it. And creativity, I mean, it goes back to school, doesn't it? it which is that the, the, the creative side of education is diminished in, in comparison with the maths and sciences and, and things like that. I, I, yeah. Speaking personally, I think that, that is, a, is, is a tragedy. It's not just a tragedy, it's destroying our planet. So the, the, the other problem with processes and rules and is it drives you into, you look at GDP, more, 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 because that, you know, you've got that combined with the kind of competitiveness. We we have a process and that process is designed to do more, create more, build more. And that's destroying the planet. And and actually what I find also fascinating about this, if you look at the onset of technology and AI and machine learning, it's almost pointless to be focusing on that with young children because they will never be able to compete with a machine in terms of its processing power and ability to crunch numbers and follow a process. So what does make a difference? You look at uh, ChatGPT. We, we have all the answers now. We have all the information. It is all now in a place where any of us can gain access to it. So the question now becomes, what are the questions we should be asking? And that comes from your ability to be creative, to be emotionally in tune, to be asking, what kind of world do I want to live in? That is not going to come from that left brain thinking. And all of the strengths in that left brain thinking, we have harnessed into something that's much better than us. So now we need to be better at the other stuff. That's where we need to be really focusing our attention. And that ties in with my next question, because on LinkedIn, you recently said, if, if we want leaders to be kind, reflective and resilient, then you have to model those behaviours. And I guess the question that I immediately thought was, OK, that, that, set, that quotation started with, if you want leaders to be kind, reflective and resilient. And I'm not sure that we do. No, we don't. Yeah. And I'm not saying I've got it right. God knows I've had my, you know, my challenges over the years and mistakes have been made and, you know, wrong people, wrong behaviors. And I, I, I have put myself through a, a ton of therapy and self-learning and self-growth because if there's anything not right in me, it will cascade through the organization like a virus. And so my first responsibility is to get me in the best possible space I can be as a leader. And that means understanding what my psychological makeup is, understanding what my triggers are, understanding where the not best version of me might show up and how that could impact others around me. But once you've done that from a team dynamic, the most important thing is to get them to see business challenges as shared problems to work through. We put the problem in the middle of us all. Something goes wrong, put it in the middle of you all and work out what went wrong, why it went wrong, and how we can do better. And I just think in financial services, we have a yes, no, black, white response to things, which encourages the worst possible behavior in people. 
and we need to shift it to this collaborative learning compassionate style of leadership and you know i don't think we're we're quite there yet but i i have hope <laughs> and yeah, is that to, to what extent is that partly because of the emphasis on profit over and above everything else? I mean, a, a, another thing that you said recently was you said that you asked the rhetorical question: Do you want to make a thirty percent profit margin and help someone, or a forty percent margin and help no one? And um, although it was rhetorical, I think it was pretty clear which side of the fence you sat on that. So, as a much more general question, in your opinion, which comes first, profit or people? It has to be people. Like profit doesn't, you know, of course you have to run businesses. I, I, I can't get Stella to be the global powerhouse that I know it can be without following the rules of the game as laid out today. And the rules of the game as laid out today, if I'm going to get investment, if I'm going to move, I'm going to, I have to be profitable. But that should not be at the expense of everything else. And arguably, for the world to heal itself and fix itself, we need to be thinking in terms of different types of metrics. I, I was at um, Densu yesterday. I was asked to go and speak with their CEO in front of the people, which is an absolute powerhouse global Japanese company, media buyer. And I was lucky enough to listen to their presentation on you know, what the business values are. And they have this concept it's a Japanese concept and I'm going to pronounce it completely wrong so I'm not even going to try it um, but it, it it means that something has to be good for the people good for the planet and good for the business and it's in that kind of middle ground that we should all exist and Japan has produced a, a new metric that is embedded in governmental policy so they don't just follow GDP, they follow GWI or P, which is, uh, they, they measure the, the health of the nation, not just the, the profits of the nation. So, you know, access to medical care and how physically healthy their population is. There's a, there's a load of measures and that is, it's on their stock market. Businesses are judged on this. And I thought that is incredible. We should absolutely start to be thinking in that way because whatever metric you aim for is the metric that you get. So if we say that businesses will be judged on how healthy their staff are, how emotionally stable their staff are, if that is a metric that we are going to hold people to account to, then that is where the focus will go. And at the moment, that's not one of the metrics. It's, you know, to get investment, to keep investment, uh, it's just not something that we think about. No, and I, I've always thought, you know, I know that the Hippocratic Oath, even with, within doctors, is you know more a phrase rather than a, a reality. But but that whole you know do no harm, you know, it seems to me the chief executives should openly, publicly be forced to declare a, you know an equivalent of the Hippocratic Oath. You know, I will do no harm. Anyway. Um, you share uh, a lot about yourself um, and your private life on, on LinkedIn. I presume that's a deliberate choice. Um, so, so why do you do that? And do you believe it's important for leaders? To, well, uh, there's a general question, which is, do you believe it's important for leaders to be open? Um, but do you think LinkedIn would be a better place if actually there was a little bit more openness and vulnerability rather than posturing? 
Um, yeah, so my view is that people hide behind personas of themselves. And if people are hiding, they're more likely to exhibit behaviors that, that maybe they wouldn't be comfortable with exhibiting in front of their friends and family. You know, I talk about anger being the only emotion that is acceptable in a, a lot of workplaces. And that for me just doesn't work. And I think if people are, you know, I have a family, my family is the most important thing to me. And I'm, I don't have any issue at all sharing that because I'm assuming that that is true for most of the people that are on LinkedIn. And I, I encourage that because again, it comes back to if I'm a mother and I'm talking to a father, then our conversation, I believe, will be much deeper and much more impactful than a CEO talking to a finance guy. And so it is absolutely deliberate, but it's also, it's my purpose is my family. My reflections come from my emotional side of my personality as opposed to my analytical. And so it just, it wouldn't feel authentic to me not to. Um, we're coming to the end. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a question about kind of one of the loves of your life, cars. <laughs> yes. So, so, so what's been, I know you're a petrol head and you mentioned it kind of regularly. So what has been your, your favorite driving experience? Oh, favorite driving experience. It's going to make me sound like a bit of an arse, but um, I, <laughs> I, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, it was fine. It's, it's, it's all about openness and vulnerability. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's in conflict <laughs> with protecting the environment. But I, I once bidded a charity auction on the chance to drive a Formula One car, um, which I did at the Paris racetrack. It was a Formula Lotus car. And we we had a whole day of it. We did Formula Three, and then we drove a Formula One car, and that was absolutely incredible for a petrol head. Um, I I span it, which is a bit terrifying for everybody because I like a million pounds. Um, but I I had so much fun. Yeah, so that was my best driving experience. Uh, how how fast did you get up to? Oh well, so I drove it, and you know, obviously really badly, and got up to probably 150 or something like that but I then went in with they have like a two-person car on the last bit of the days you get to go in with one of the Formula One races and you sit in the back god knows what speed we were doing at that <laughs> point but he was going he was going full pelt so to conclude Sam if, if you were asked to pass on uh, a, a bit of advice to a teenager or a graduate thinking about their future career um, what would you say to sell insurance to them? To sell insurance to them, I would say that insurance is one of the only industries that truly has the power to change the world and be a force for good if it can just get out of its own way. And it needs young, creative, socially responsible people in it to tap into that power that it has. Thank you, Sam. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. RPC Radio. Radio.
Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered, which is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also love our other podcasts, Taxing Matters and Money Covered, plus The Fix, which is co-hosted by my colleague Kelly Thompson. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.